0: It's demand driven and it's local. Michelle Bullock talking about why inflation might be a bit more persistent in Australia. So, does that mean a hike is more likely and sooner? And more than one, maybe. Meanwhile, more evidence of a US slowdown and rising inflation expectations. Not a good combination. And the UK Budget Office has revised its GDP forecast, but the growth next year is mostly coming from government consumption. Also not a good picture. And today's PMI is for Europe, and it's Thanksgiving as well. It's Thursday, the 23rd of November, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is higher again. It's up 0.3% on the DXY, close to 0.7% up at one stage. It's uh, 0.8% up on the Japanese yen, with a 0.2% fall in the euro, 0.4% lower for the pound, and a quarter percent down for the Aussie dollar. Ten-year treasury yields pushed higher up two basis points to 4.41%. UK ten-year gilts are up five basis points, but in Germany and France, the direction is down, albeit only one basis point. And Aussie ten years yesterday we were at 4.44%, about 8 Basis points higher than that on futures this morning. And uh, US equities are higher, 0.4% for the SP, half percent for the Dow and the NASDAQ. In Europe, the Euro stocks 50 closed up half percent. The FTSE 100 was down 0.2%, though. And oil down today. It's been pretty volatile this week. Right now, 1.2% lower for WTI and 0.9% down for Brent. It was actually 2.5% lower not so long ago. It's at 81.70 a barrel now. And no market reaction to the emergency. News that four border crossings have been closed between the US and Canada after a vehicle exploded on a bridge on the US side at Niagara Falls. Whether that amounts to anything significant? too early to tell so it's JB Weir Sally Auld joining me uh, today and Michelle Bullock sounding very bullish last night at the Australian Business Economist dinner Uh, uh, were you there by the way I was watching from home right, okay cool and and you had a nice meal to go with it just to (laughs) replicate the whole experience did you that's right so uh, she was there saying inflation is becoming a bit of a homegrown problem too much demand not enough supply uh, and we're seeing that in the broad based rises that we're seeing in, in prices so does that is that a signal that actually they're going to have to move sooner with interest rates? Is that how that's being read?
1: Um, well, I think it was hawkish, definitely. Like I, I was sort of trying to sit there and say, you know, if you were completely objective around all of this and you didn't really know much about Australia or the RBA or or anything else, if you just read the first half of her speech and and you know what was in there uh, on on the sort of homegrown nature of inflation and and the fact that there are plenty of indicators that demand is uh, stronger than than supply and the economy's still out of whack a little bit, um, you would be thinking there was probably at least one, if not two more rate rises coming down the pipe. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, but the market hasn't really hasn't really moved too much. Um, but she was pretty clear about saying, look, this is a domestic problem. This is not to do with global um, issues or supply chain issues. It's really to do with homegrown inflation. And as you said, um, you know, one of the issues is just that um, basically, there are there's you know a few evidence points um, that that tell us it's a broad based issue. So she she put up a chart showing that effectively at least two thirds of the the overall CPI basket is running at an inflation rate greater than three percent. So her her point was basically it's very broad based. It's not just a couple of things. It's everywhere. Um, mm. She said it's been driven by services inflation, which, you know, all else equal is is a reflection of the fact that aggregate demand is is running in excess of aggregate supply. So that still needs to be sorted out. Um, and she made the point around, you know, there's still a lot of very limited spare capacity across the economy. Um, and so that means that firms are, are sort of able to lift Lift prices, but also, you know, a lot of the inflation story is being generated from domestic cost pressures. So you put all those things together, and sort of say, well, you don't sound like a central bank that's finished the job. Um, and I think no. her comments. Until, let's
0: throw in the fact that she said that they've got, you know, a blunt instrument to tackle all of this as well. I mean, that's that's like saying, well, we're going to use it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's the only instrument she has, um, and. Uh, you know, I think th- th- those comments sort of c- contrast quite considerably with, um, you know, Tiff Macklem from the Bank of Canada overnight, who basically came out and said, look, you know, we think rates are restrictive enough, um, and we're at the point now where um, we don't think that excess demand in the economy is making it easier for firms to lift prices. That that's all sort of behind us. So I think that's telling you that you know, Bank of Canada seems pretty happy where they are, um, but for for the RBA um seems like they're still tackling a problem um which is you know yet to be dealt with and i think this really just all comes back to taking a step back and and not getting too head up about are they going to go to in december or is it february or march but just sort of saying you know do we think with a cash rate of 4.35% that's enough um to generate restrictive policy to get the inflation problem under control and this might not be the most sophisticated way to think about it, but if we look at where the policy rate is in the UK, in Canada, New Zealand, the US, so what you would call peer economies with Australia, it's yeah, they're all clustered around five, five and a half percent. And I think what's interesting is that you know central banks in all those jurisdictions are expressing increased confidence that you know they've, they've hit the mark, um, and that's you know it just makes me wonder whether you know there isn't really a, a hugely compelling reason for our cash rate to be 100 basis points below that of our, our peers. <laughs> well, God,
0: so we're talking about four more hikes. Let's hope not. But, I mean, that would mean…
1: <laughs> I don't think four, but, you know, like like I said, if you sort for of two, listen maybe, objectively yeah. to what she was saying, you yeah. probably think that, well, one ain't going to do the job. Maybe we need more like two.
0: So, I mean, NAB's been saying, you know, that uh, a hike is expected in, in, in March. That's been the, the NAB mm. view. But maybe after hearing that, maybe the week after next…
1: Possibly. Um, although I still feel like, you know, they're they're at the point where the case has to has to be made. You know, when you get to this point in the tightening cycle where you, you think you're close to the top, you tend to proceed with a bit more caution. You're sort of like approaching the edge of the cliff. Like you're not you don't want to run. Um, you want to step quite carefully. And so I still suspect that, you know, what they will do is wait for the case to build. So we need to see some more labor market numbers, we need to see another inflation number, so on and so forth. Um, and so m- my best guess is, you know, very similar to the what the NAB team have is that February is the most likely month. Um, and I'm just not sure that there's anything between now and the next board meeting that would – Really um, get them over the line to unless to they want, rates.
0: Yeah, unless they want everyone to sort of hold back on their Christmas shopping and not be quite so extravagant. Of course, that would be a reason to do it. Anyway, look the uh, one thing we do know in Australia, and it's the same around the world, is you know that there's a there's a difference, isn't that, as to who's being uh, hit the hardest by these higher interest mm. rates. So it's the, you know the young more than the older generations. And we saw that in evidence in the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Read, which is down on last time. Uh, but up on expectations, so from 63.8 down to 61.3, so close to a 4% drop. This is the fourth consecutive month that it slipped. Uh, and the commentary around it says it is split on, on age. So basically, under 55, there's a strong decline in economic attitudes. Over 55, it has actually improved. So uh, I, I guess that, that's defined by basically whether you've got a mortgage or not, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, possibly. Um, and it's interesting because there is, you know, like, Um, The RBA governor talked about that in her speech last night. She said, you know, I'm I'm getting letters from people who are saying it's really hard at the moment when you're lifting rates. And she mentioned that she speaks to organizations who help households with cost of living pressures and she understands what's going on out there. But she also made the point that, you know, the reason we've got to keep going with this is that inflation, you know, particularly impacts low income households. Um, And so... It's almost like you've got to choose the lesser of two evils. You know, if you let inflation run, you know that's a disaster for the broader economy, but particularly so for low-income households. If you raise rates, you know, to deal with that, um, it's obviously not great if you're a borrower. It's, it's nice if you're a saver. Um, but it is interesting, I think, this time around in this tightening cycle, there has been you know a, a lot more attention paid to perhaps some of the distributional impacts of of what what is going on at the moment, and certainly in Australia, that's exacerbated by. Mm. Um, the house price issue as well. So, I mean, we've been seeing a bit
0: of soft data, haven't we, in the US? So, I mean, other mm. than that, University of Michigan consumer sentiment read, uh, we had durable goods orders down 5.4% in October. They're expected to be down, but not as much as that. In fact, take out transport, they're flat uh, because there was a 15% drop in transport orders, but take out defense and they're down 6.7%. Capital goods are down 11.2%. That's not looking like an economy that is planning on growth, is it?
1: No, no. There they, they were a weak set of numbers um, for durables in, in October. Um, but I, I do think they do bounce around um, a bit month to month. And as you mentioned, yeah, there are some lumpy things in there. So you know, once you start cutting out defence or aeroplanes, then um, the numbers aren't so aren't so drastic, but, you know, you look at a chart of durable goods and they've had a really nice recovery through um, the last couple of years and looks like they're just starting to crest out um, a little bit. So it's possible that, you know, that series could probably be peaking out for for the cycle Um, and I guess this is behind, you know, when we start to think about the year-ahead outlook, this is sort of behind this idea that growth is going to slow next year in the US, the Fed are going to start cutting rates at some point think people are feeling that, you know, whether it's the capital goods cycle or, or possibly even consumption, that we're getting closer to the point where a lot of the good news is is going to be behind us.
0: And the curious thing uh, out of that Michigan survey was the uh, 12-month inflation expectation has edged up. It's mm-hmm. gone from 4.4 4 to 4.5. At the same time, we've actually seen the average mortgage rate, uh, or the mean rate, I think it is uh, from the N.B.A. has fallen from 7.61 percent to 7.41 percent. So a bit of a glimmer of hope. Still a lot of money, isn't it, for home buyers or those wanting to tie down a new mortgage? But why this? Uh, why this push up again in uh, in inflation expectations? I wonder.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because that that one year ahead series has jumped 130 basis points just in the space of two mm-hmm. months. So it's been a really sharp move, and even. Um, the longer-term inflation expectations, so over the next five years, they've jumped up a, a little bit as well, and they're now matching the high of where they reached back in 2008. What's interesting is that we're not quite seeing the same lift in other measures of inflation expectations. So if we look at the New York Fed survey, that hasn't behaved in a similar fashion. But this will be something I suspect you know central banks are going to be keeping an eye on. And we saw in the RBA minutes earlier this week that there was a little bit of nervousness um, that a similar thing was happening here in Australia where inflation expectations were starting to drift higher. And there was evidence that firms were very much of the mindset that, you know, if your input costs go up, you just pass that on and find all prices. Um, and so I guess this is why, you know, I would expect you're not going to see sort of super dovish talk from the Fed anytime soon. They'll be watching these series pretty carefully, I think. And this is why, you know, I think the the rhetoric from a lot of Fed officials will be like, look, we, we might have done enough, but if we haven't, then we'll raise rates again, um, yeah, you know, because yeah. I think they, they, they can't afford at this point in the cycle for inflation expectations to become unanchored. That would be pretty unfortunate.
0: Well, we're hearing that a lot, aren't we, from many parts of the world, sort of, you know, the, the prices being uh, not absorbed by companies. They're just passing on those prices, and that's part of the problem. And, of course, some of that comes from wage pressures, and so that's why everyone looks at the job market. Those initial jobless mm-hmm. claims uh, in the U.S., Lower than expected, two hundred nine thousand claims last week from two hundred thirty-three thousand the week before. If we look at the four-week average, it's not really moved. So there's no obvious sign of any easing happening in the uh, in, in the labour market in the US. So so that's a bit of a concern, isn't it? But look, uh, talking about choppy um, oil prices this week, they seem to have been a bit all over the place. We've got rising oil inventories in the United States, an extra 8.7 million barrels last week, uh, way more than expected. But, you know, that's been the pattern lately. And, of course, this is just ahead of OPEC Plus at the weekend uh, with, uh, you know, softening demand, rising inventories and prices, you know, starting to well, you know, being choppy, but, you know, we've seen them falling quite a bit as well this week. I mean, we're going to see deeper cuts, aren't we, from OPEC?
1: You would think. And it's interesting because, you know, overnight there was a headline basically saying that the meeting's been pushed back four days and, and people are saying this is basically because, you know, the the top producers can't really agree on what to do with, with production cuts. Um, so no meeting on the weekend, but instead, I think, uh, early early next week, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, the outlook for oil is you've clearly got the production cuts on, on one hand, like we talked about, you know, broadly an outlook for weaker economic growth in 2024 versus 2023, um, you know, rising inventories. We know that China built oil inventories significantly through the course of this year. So you'd argue that, you know, perhaps they're not going to buy as much oil as, as perhaps they have through, through um, this year. Um, and then, you know, we've got the conflict in the Middle East, which has probably confused most people, um, that it hasn't had too much of an impact on the oil price. So you've got all these sorts of things swirling around in the background and, and I guess not surprising that the market's struggling um, to, to find direction really with, with with all those factors pushing and pulling the price in, in different directions. So I think it probably, you know, you'd be reasonably comfortable that for Brent, it, you know we're going to find good support in the high 70s and it's really just a question of you know whether we settle i think in you know low 80s or, or something a little bit higher right. from here. the
0: uh, uk chancellor gave his autumn statement as well today which is a, a, basically a mini budget not a great deal of interest there there was in effect a two percent tax cut it's actually for national insurance which is a bit like a medicare payment but the uh, the more you earn the less you mm. pay so actually the smaller the cut so actually it's a uh, it, it's quite a good way of giving a bit more money to people on lower incomes i guess except the very low income people don't get anything from it but you know middle income benefits from it but that's uh that's an aside what is interesting is the office for budget responsibility uh gave revised forecast they reckon cpi in q4 is going to be 4.8 percent um, rather optimistically, back in uh, March, I think they'd said 2.9%. What? Uh, and GDP growth is going to be 0.6% this year rather than a 0.2% contraction that they'd forecast back in March. So it just shows that their forecast back in March were pretty hopeless. So maybe we shouldn't pay too much attention to what they're saying next year. But what is interesting about next year, they say 0.7% growth in GDP with a 5.6% fall in fixed investment by business. And a lot of the growth is going to come from a 4% increase in government consumption. Uh, Now, the combination of all of that, which is not good news, really, all of that pushed UK yields a bit higher today. Yeah,
1: no, that's not uh, your your summary of, I guess, the growth outlook probably doesn't suggest we've got an overly strong or dynamic economy um, in the UK at the moment, especially that weakness in capital investment. Um, And so if you're thinking about you know, what what matters to the standard of living over time in the UK and, <clears throat> you know, how we're going to get growth onto a more sustainable footing, um, you know, a lot of that comes down to productivity growth and you're not going to get much of that if if the business sector is is not investing. And so I guess it's a bit of a, a chicken and an egg story and, you know, the, the government and then the Chancellor are sort of trying that classic supply side story saying, look, you know, we, we want to cut taxes and, and give people an incentive to get out there and, you know, do business. Um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But, you know, all up there, they're not overly inspiring growth numbers for, for this year or for next year. So just sort of feels like, you know, the UK is going to be one of those economies that probably doesn't do as badly as it's done this year, but um, it's hard to get excited about a, you know, super optimistic outlook for the uk
0: bumbling along is is what it's going to do isn't it uh european confidence is bad but not as bad as it was or as bad as it expected to be uh it struck a reading of minus 16.9 which is worse than in july and august um people aren't seeing a steady path to recovery obviously there but we're getting the pmis for the euro area also separately for germany and france and the uk today for services and manufacturing, I don't think we're going to see anything over 50, are we? It's all in contraction territory like it was last time.
1: Yeah, that's right. So not, not a whole lot of, uh, I guess, optimism again about, you know, fourth quarter growth in, in mm. Europe where most people are sort of expecting it to stagnate at best. Um, and, and sort of, a you know, the US is a little bit better in the sense that people are broadly expecting those PMIs to be sort of unchanged um, <clears throat> relative to to the last rate in October, you know, around that sort of 50 level. So, you know, not not expanding, but not contracting either. Um, So a bit better than Europe. But, yeah, you know, you don't get the sense that we're going to get a a strong sort of pulse from those global PMI indicators over the next few days. And,
0: you know, given our fascination with central bank minutes lately, we get the last uh, ECB meeting, uh, the minutes from that, or the account, record of account or whatever they call it from that, uh, with the meeting where they Mm -hmm. kept rates on hold. So that's out today as well. Uh, 14th of December is their next meeting. Actually, not the last one before Christmas. Do you know who, who the last one before Christmas is?
1: That would be our friends in Japan, is
0: it? It would, because they always like to mm-hmm. slip in that uh, last-minute surprise, don't they, just before we <laughs> all go on holiday. So well, maybe they will mm-hmm. this year. Who knows? Look, it's going to be a fairly quiet one today, isn't it, because it's Thanksgiving Day today in the United States right. when, when they get around to it. and Less trading as well on Friday. So uh, light trade can mean volatile moves, of course, as well, can't it? So watch out for that. But uh, good to talk, Sally.
1: Likewise, Phil.
0: And that is the Thursday morning morning call from NAB. I'm Dobby, back tomorrow. See you then.